Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Saturday, November the 5th, 2022. It is currently 8.55 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. I hope you're having a great Saturday. If you're listening to me live, if you're not listening to me live, I hope you're having a great whatever day it may be, whatever time it may be, wherever you may be, I hope things are going well for you. But for me, I was sitting downstairs and I was just kind of doing some thinking, trying, trying to figure out exactly what I was going to do this evening, listen to music, watch some things on television. I, I don't know, just trying to figure out what to do. And uh, I started thinking in regards to the good things we do. The good things we do, because obviously as Christians, we may not want to ever come across as arrogant and say it, but obviously most Christians believe they do many good things, that there is righteousness in their life, that there is godliness in their life, that they're trying to, they're obeying the commands of Christ, that they're doing good things. And whether Christians like to admit it or not, there is a little bit of, when they look at other people, they're like, well, they may not see these words, but there's there's an attitude of, I thank God that I'm not like those people, because did you hear what so-and-so did? You, did you hear what so-and-so did? I can't believe that. I can't believe they did that. There is a, there's a, a, a judgmental spirit that is there. You can't deny it. And so there's at least some acknowledgement, a, a Christian, about they, they, they may not say it, but they believe and they think that they do many righteous things, that they do many holy things. In fact, there's an entire theology within the evangelical world that ba- basically says this. How do you know you're saved? You don't look to Christ. You don't look to his finished work. You look to what you do and don't do. If you do this and do this and do this, you prove you're saved. If you do this or if you, if you, if you do this or this and this, you prove you're saved. But if you do this and this and this, you prove that you're not saved. So you, so you look to those good actions, those good works that we may refer to it as spiritual fruit. And we look at these things as some kind of righteousness, some kind of practical righteousness, some kind of good deeds. Now, we may not brag about it, but there is something inside of us. Because, because again, if you hold to a theology that says the way you know you're saved is you look at your life, well, then you're looking at those things you do and don't do and say, see, that proves I'm saved. I mean, there's there's literal literal test you can find without within the Christian world, you can either do a search for it on the internet, you can listen to sermons and like 10 ways to know that you're truly saved, 14 ways to know that you're truly saved. You love God, you do this, you do this, you do this, you do this. And you're like, see, so you have to say, I do these things in order to pass the test. So I was just kind of thinking a little bit about that whole idea of, of, you know, how, and I guess I, I kind of came down to a question, how do I feel? So I kind, of, I kind of personalize it. How do I feel when I am doing spiritual things? I'm doing good things and I'm avoiding doing certain bad things. Do I feel like, wow, 
I'm, I'm being very spiritual. Wow. I'm seeing a lot of spiritual growth. Wow. I see a lot of spiritual victory in my life. I, I, do I feel that way? And I, and I had to kind of ask myself, well, I know there's times in my Christian life where I have felt like, wow, I'm really doing good and been somewhat, I don't want to say proud, but definitely happy that those good things were there. So I'm thinking all of these thoughts, right? Just tr- trying to process it. No, I, you know, it, it, I wasn't outlining it. I wasn't trying to, I just just having, I'm here completely by myself. So I was just kind of walking around, just having a conversation with myself out loud. Okay, maybe you don't talk to yourself, but I was just in a sense kind of just talking it out. I, I, I love to do that uh, whenever I'm preparing a sermon, whenever I'm, I'm doing Bible study. I love to just kind of talk the concept out, talk the doctrine, and I do it out loud. And I'll have like a notebook and I'll just kind of talk it through, talk it through, and then I'll, I'll stop and write. So I was kind of just doing that. And, and I'd, I don't know if I'd completely like, you know, gone as far as I want with the thought. I, I know I hadn't really fleshed it out much, but I, I, I kind of took a break. I think I got something to drink and I thought, well, I'll check my email. And I opened my email inbox and I see this for a subject line. You ready? Iniquity of holy things. Iniquity of holy things? Okay, that, you've got to admit, that's an intriguing title, right? I mean, that's a title that makes you, I've got to click on that sub. I got to click on that email. I got to open that up. Iniquity of holy things? As I was thinking of, I wonder which direction this is going to go. I wonder what this is about. Well, I opened it up and I realized it was one of the devotional, I, I look, any site that offers email devotionals, I sign up for all of them. So I, I, as soon as I clicked on, I'm like, okay, this is one of the sites where I get a daily devotional. So the daily devotional is going to be the iniquity of holy things. Okay, I saw the scripture that they, uh, they have. I'm not going to read it. And then it opens with this paragraph, all right? So I want you to just think about the good things that you do as a Christian and how you feel about it. And I want you to just think of this title, Iniquity of Holy Things, Iniquity of Holy Things. Here is the first paragraph. With whom do we identify? Now, the problem with this, when I say with whom do we identify, anyone who's gone to church for, (laughs) I don't know, two weeks you're going to know the right answer, all right? So in some ways, I don't even want to read this line because, I, because you know, I've already seen where it's going. I don't want to say it. That, that's sometimes, sometimes I think within Christianity, and you got to hear what I'm about to say here. Sometimes I feel, and I'm going to pick up a pencil because you know when I start thinking, I, I have to have a pencil in my hand, all right? Got to have that pencil, all right? See if this makes any sense. Sometimes, I, I, I firmly believe this, the right answer actually keeps us from spiritual growth, from spiritual truth, and from seeing things the way they really are. Instead of actually looking for truth, instead of actually looking for things and looking at things the way they really are, what we have a tendency to do is simply recite the right answer. 
We're like, oh, I have the right answer. So I know what, oh, oh, I know the answer. It's Jesus. It's, I know the right answer. It's Jesus. It's, it's church. It's baptism, whatever. You just, you know the right answer and, and, and you don't, and that's it. That stops the entire process. You know the answer. There's no further thought. There's no further meditation. There's no further analysis. No, you just say the right answer. So here, everyone's going to know the right answer. The problem is, I think the right answer may keep us from the truth that is actually contradictory to the right answer. Here we go. With whom do we identify? The Pharisee or the tax collector? The prodigal son or the older brother? Which do you more identify with? The Pharisee who, I I do all these righteous things. I go to church. I give a tithe. I care for my neighbor. I, I don't do this. I don't do that. I don't do this. Or the tax collector who, well, man, you're, you, you've sold out your own people. You may be dishonest. You may be greedy. You may be materialistic. You may not be the nicest person in the world. You, 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 you may, you don't, you, you've turned your back on your own people. Look, there's some really bad things about the tax collectors. So, I mean, honestly, you know, I think honestly, a lot of Christians who sit in church tomorrow morning, they're going to sit in the pew and they identify themselves with the Pharisee. I, look, I, I'm at church. I wasn't out last night, Saturday night, getting drunk or, or, or going to a strip club or, or hiring a prostitute or no, no, no. I was with my family. I, I do good things. There is, there is, there, look, I, I just think that if we're even halfway honest, we identify with the Pharisee. Not the miserable, horrible tax collector. And we we definitely, I guarantee you, if we're honest, we identify with the the older brother, not the prodigal. The prodigal, he 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 ran up. He didn't even care about his father. He was basically like, look, give me my inheritance. I wish you were dead. I just want what you're gonna give me. And then take off and live it up and riotous living and find himself in the pig in the pig pen. I mean, we don't identify ourselves with that person. Oh, we may say I was that way, but now, you know, I'm, I'm at the house. I'm doing everything right. We identify with the older brother who did not run off, who didn't take his inheritance, who didn't go do horrible things, who didn't end up in the pig pen. No matter how much we, we, we will, we will say it. Look, we may try to claim, oh, no, no, no. I identify with the tax collector. I identify with the prodigal. If you do, then why do you look to your actions to prove that you're saved? If you look to your actions to prove that you're saved, you can identify with the tax collector and you can identify with the prodigal because that would seem to indicate that you're not saved. You have to identify with the Pharisee and with the older brother. You have to. You can't say, well, my actions prove that I'm saved, but I really identify with the prodigal and the tax collector. No, you are there. I thank God I'm not like all of these. Hey, 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 no, God, I didn't run off. I didn't take your inheritance. I didn't go, you know, spend it all and blow it all and turn my back on you. No, I stayed right here. I'm the faithful one. Obviously, no one wants to identify with the Pharisee or the older brother. But are we willing to identify with the tax collector and prodigal son as sinners deeply in need of the grace and mercy of God? Now, here's the thing. In theory, we will identify with the prodigal and the tax collector. In theory, we will say, 
Oh, I need the mercy of God. I'm just a sinner. Oh, we say those words because we know the right answers, right? Christians know the right answers. But you can't say that and then turn around and say, well, the reason I know I'm saved is because I do this and I do this and I do this and I don't do that and I don't do that and I don't do this and I love God and I love people and I do this and I, and I hunger and thirst after righteousness. No, no, because immediately when you start pointing all these things that you do that supposedly prove you're saved, you can no longer identify with the prodigal and with the tax collector unless you're going to say, I used to be a prodigal, I used to be a tax collector, but I thank God that I'm not like that anymore. So then you can't identify with them anymore. You can only identify with them with your past. So do you currently identify with the tax collector and with the and with the prodigal or do you honestly if you're honest right now you identify with the Pharisee and the older brother? Are we willing to say God be merciful to me the sinner? Or I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Are we really willing to see ourselves that way? That Lord, I I am a sinner and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, if you've been listening to some of our other things, you're not to stay there in a sense of self-loathing. We've talked about this. But in other words, you deep down know that you are unworthy and that you are a sinner. But here's the thing. Are you willing? Oh boy, here's the million dollar question. Are you willing to acknowledge that even your righteous acts, are you willing to acknowledge that even your holy living is no more than filthy rags in the sight of God. Are you really willing to admit that? Now, if, if, if you're willing to admit that, then you cannot tell me the way to prove that someone is saved is by looking at their actions because their actions are nothing more than filthy rags. So do you believe that or do you not believe that? Now, some of you are going to be saying, well, no, 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 no. I, I know that I'm the prodigal. I know I'm the tax collector. I know my good deeds are nothing more than filthy rags. Okay, that is good that you admit that. Now, just remember, don't live there in self-loathing. You flee to Jesus Christ and, and look, then see yourself in light of his righteousness. The point is these feelings are to make you no longer trust in your actions and your works and you, and anything in you these, these, these realities are not to lead you to a pit of despair and to a pit of self-loathing. This is to immediately make you realize, I can't look to me. I can only look to him. I can't look to my deeds, but his deeds. I can't look to my actions, but his actions. I can't look to my righteous deeds, but to his perfect righteousness. Do we really believe that our good deeds, our holy things, are nothing more than filthy rags. Do you see the iniquity of holy things? Do you honestly see the iniquity of holy things? I'm going to tell you that the evangelical world at large does not believe that. They would say they do, but not in practice. Because again, 
Just ask them, how do I know I'm saved? Well, here's how you know. You'll do this, 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 you'll do this. You won't do this, you won't do this, you won't do this, you won't do this. Okay. They won't ever say, look to Jesus Christ and his finished work. They'll say, look to your actions. Well, okay, immediately you want to raise your hand and go, okay, I will look to my actions. But all of my good deeds... All of my holy actions are nothing more than filthy rags before a holy God. So then how does that prove salvation? John Owen, sometimes referred to as the Prince of Puritan Theologians, wrote these words way back in 1657. 1657, there I'm setting my pencil down. 1657, he wrote these words. You ready? Believers obey Christ as the one by whom our obedience is accepted by God. Believers know all their duties are weak, imperfect, and unable to abide in God's presence. Please note that our, listen, that our duties are weak. Anything we do is weak imperfect and unable to abide in God's presence. Therefore, we look to Christ as the one who bears the iniquity of their holy things. We know that even our best works would not stand in the presence of God because they're all corrupted by sin. So we have to look to Christ to bear the iniquity even of our good deeds. In other words, anything we do is only made holy and right because of the imputed righteousness of Christ. In other words, I can't say, well, look at my actions. This proves something. My actions are corrupt. They can only be acceptable to God because of his imputed righteousness. So it's still my imputed, it's still the imputed righteousness that proves my salvation, not my acts, because my acts have to be made accepted by God by that perfect righteousness of Christ. We look to Christ as the one who bears the, bears the iniquity of their holy things, who adds incense to their prayers, gathers out all the weeds from their duties, and makes them acceptable to God. The only reason anything you do will ever be acceptable to God is not because of the good thing you did, but because of the imputed righteousness of Christ. Owen speaks of Christ bearing the iniquity of our holy things. I don't know if you've ever even thought of that phrase. Christ bears the iniquity of our holy things. I want you to write that down. Christ bears the iniquity of our holy things. I want you to really meditate on that. The sinfulness, he bears the iniquity of our holy things, the sinfulness of even our good works. Christ had to, has to bear and take care of the sinfulness of your good works, because your good works, no matter how good you may perceive them to be, they're still sinful. They're still ungodly. They're still corrupt. They don't prove anything. Another Puritan preacher, now this one we cannot verify, but supposedly a Puritan preacher said, I don't think we have the exact source of this quote, said this, even our tears of repentance needs to be washed in the blood of the lamb. Even your repentance needs to be washed in the blood of the lamb. 
Even your repentance needs cleansing. Even your repentance needs to be purified by the blood of Jesus Christ. Because even your repentance is corrupted by the sinful nature. Everything we do in thought, word, and deed is corrupted by the internal sinfulness that is inside of you and me. And somehow the modern day Christians have completely obliterated this understanding. Our best works can never earn us one bit of favor with God. Let us then turn our attention from our own performance, whether it seems good or bad, and look to the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is God's provision for our sin. Not not only on the day we trusted Christ for our salvation, but every day of our Christian lives. Look to the gospel. Don't look to yourself. Don't look to your holy actions for anything, for assurance, for proof, because all of those holy actions are filled with iniquity, and they can only be acceptable by the imputed righteousness of Christ, which you obtain, it's imputed to you, it's given to your account, by faith. Alone. Now, some say, you're, you're, you're talking easy believism. No, I'm talking the reality that you're a sinner and your sin corrupts everything you do. And you want to look to sinful actions. You're saying, well, they're not sinful actions. Your best actions are still sinful. They're still corrupt. You need to acknowledge that we, listen, in thought, word, and deed, by our very nature, we are, listen, We are the tax collector and we are the Pharisee because both are sinful, both are wrong, just in different ways. The Pharisee was wrong, the tax collector were wrong, and they both needed the mercy of God. The prodigal son was wrong and the one that stayed home was just as wrong. The problem is we stay home and think the prodigal is the bad guy. We're just as bad. The only difference is our bad shows up sitting at home, not out ruining ruining our lives or hurting other people. We overest we perceive our righteousness in a way that is blinded from the truth. We need to see the iniquity of holy things. So the text, two texts I'll give you. Isaiah 64, 6. Isaiah 64, 6. This is for your own meditation. Isaiah 64, 6. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Please note, all our righteousness uh, are as filthy rags. All your righteousness is as filthy rags. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how wonderful you are. I don't care how great you think you are. It's all but filthy rags. And then I want you to remember Luke 18. Luke 18. Luke 18. So Isaiah 64, 6. You may want to write that down. And then Luke 18. Luke 18. Verse 9, Luke 18, verse 9. And he spoke this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Anytime you trust in yourself that you're righteous, 
almost any time you think that you're righteous, you start despising the actions of others. Two men went into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast saying, God, be merciful to me a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. There's a lot of people who'll be sitting in the pew tomorrow. They'll be in the pew. There'll be someone else who won't be in the pew. They're not in church. They've, they've, they've committed all kinds of horrible sin. They, they are guilty. And maybe they're there in their home saying, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I don't deserve anything. Well, the people in the pew are like, I thank God I'm not like that guy who missed church today. Well, I tell you, sometimes the more godly one, the one that's justified is the one not sitting in the pew. And the people sitting in the pew are nothing more than Pharisees. Because they think they're so good that they pass some supposed test proving their salvation when all they're doing is looking to the, the they're looking to the, to sinful, holy things as to po- supposedly prove their righteousness and their salvation. You look to your things. You look to the things you do. I'm going to look to the things Christ completely accomplished. I'm going to look, you look to your supposed righteousness, which is nothing more than filthy rags. I'm going to look to the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. You can give me your thoughts on all of this. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Luke 18, I think 11, Isaiah 64, 6, the iniquity of holy things. Love to get your thoughts on all of this. Either tonight in the Discord channel, email me, newsif at yahoo.com. Love to get your perspective on all of this. Thank you for listening. Everyone have a wonderful night. God bless.